Welcome to American Influencer Real Talk. I'm Christopher Crellin, CEO of the American Influencer Association. Today, we're catching up with Jeff Timmons, the founding member of the Grammy-nominated group 98 Degrees. Jeff shares some of his favorite moments over the group's 25-year career. From their first single to Jeff's solo career, you're going to be blown away by Jeff's perseverance. And now, here's our host, Josh Skinner. Hi, it's Josh Skinner, and welcome to this special episode of American Influencer Real Talk. I have my friend Jeff Timmons from 98 Degrees on the show. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Josh. How are you? Thanks again for having me. I'm doing great. It's an honor to have you. I was trying to think of how long we've known each other. I actually had to Google the two songs that we co-wrote together. It's been about 11 years. (laughs) It's been that long already. That's pretty crazy. I was trying to wrap my brain. It seems like it's been less time than that. But at the same time, more time than that, if it makes any sense. It's just, I mean, in the blink of an eye, you know, 11 years later, it's crazy. But it, nonetheless, it was a great time working with you on those tunes. We wrote for an artist named Alessandro Rosaldo. Um, do you remember the two names of our songs? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, I, I had to Google them, too. Uh, we wrote a song called You Told Me, and then we wrote a song called You're Holding On. That's funny. I mean, I, I would have no idea where to look with those or... Or who the artist was. I mean, it all happened so fast. And you know those co-writes, how that goes. I mean, uh, you know, I think between, you know, 11 years ago and now, I've probably written or co-written hundreds of songs at this point. So it's really hard to remember. Well, I gave you a little pop quiz. (laughs) So let's talk about your career. It's been 25 years since you started 98 Degrees. Yeah, I mean, going on 26. I mean, I dropped out of school in 94 to start with some of my friends. Drove to L.A., those guys quit. And then I was... I put in touch with Nick through a mutual friend in 95. We formed in 95, got signed in 96. So, you know, 24, 25 years we've been we've been at it. It's gone pretty fast. It's been pretty crazy. 10 million albums sold, eight top 40 singles. Was there a, an exact moment where you felt like you had influence? You know what? I think that at the time we were really, really popular, which was the late 90s, early 2000s. It was such a whirlwind. You know, look, we were on all the major shows and performing with all the major artists and touring the world. So you kind of have an idea you're influencing people. But, you know, that sort of mindset of influencing people as it exists today didn't exist back then because there was no social media, really. I mean, outside of things we called chat rooms, uh, you didn't have instant uh, instant uh, communication with your fans like you do today with, with the Twitters and the social uh, assets that you have at your disposal today. So it didn't really dawn upon us that we were influencing anybody. We thought we were popular. We thought we were having some success. Um, and certainly was we were enjoying it and understood that we had a fan base and some sort of influence, but nothing uh, to the extent of you know the things you can do today with the, the Twitter and Instagrams and Pinterest and and uh, you know TikTok and all those platforms. You know, there's a lot of negativity online. I'm just curious. In the early 2000s, how did you hear from your haters? Oh, you would get mail. You would get a traditional mail. You would go to you know we had a fan base and a fan club. Uh, that was run by one of the guys, Nick's mom ran it, Nick's, Nick and Drew's mom ran the fan club, and she would get hate mail, like real snail mail, old school style. But yeah, also, you know, they had those chat rooms. So, you know, AOL, Yahoo at the time had these, you know, uh, Prodigy, which is another, you know, blast from the past, another platform that you could get in touch with your fans by having message boards and chats. And, it, and none of it was really in real time. They would ask a question. It would go up and be posted on something called a bulletin board. And then, you know, that people would create topics like, you know, 
their favorite guy or their favorite show or their favorite song, or they even had a thing called fan fiction where they would create fictional stories about us. And then, of course, you 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 know peppered in there, you'd have your your comments about how much people didn't like you or the way you looked or what you said on a particular show or a certain thing about your voice or any of that stuff. So you know, certainly people had a way to get to you, just not as instantaneous as they do today. What do you think is the biggest misconception of being in a boy band? Well, for us, uh, you know, look, we weren't put together by somebody else. We put ourselves together and we didn't go to some school on how to perform and, and how to do interviews and how to dance, certainly not how to dance uh, for us. But, uh, you know, I think that the misconception about some of these groups that are put together is they don't have real talent and with us or they can't really sing. And for with us, we really prided ourselves on being influenced by the old Motown acts. And, you know, fortunately for us, we got signed to Motown, uh, you know, like the Four Tops and the Four Seasons and the doo-wop groups and, uh, it, you know, and, and, and boys the men and groups like that. So I think when, when people consider you a boy band, at least when we discovered what the term was, and originally that was overseas, was that you're a manufactured group. They find a guy that looks this way and a guy that looks that way, and you cater to girls uh, according to different looks, and then really the talent part of it, meeting the singing and, and the performance part of it and the writing and the production isn't really your forte. So, you know, for us, the term always had a negative connotation to it, but... You know, when you're lumped in with groups like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and, you know, groups that sell tens and hundreds of millions of records all over the world, you're considered a phenomenon uh, with groups like that. And that's your peer group. You know, suddenly we don't mind, mind the term so much. Is there an exact moment when you were getting signed that you just could finally take a breath and you're like, we did it? You know what? No. I, I think, you know, it, it happened for 98 Degrees, the group uh, that we ultimately um put on records and out there very quickly. I mean, we were together a very short time, maybe three months before we got signed, tops. Um, wow. We all met in L.A. We lived in an apartment together. We went and sang a cappella every place. And, you know, we got discovered singing backstage at a Boys the Men concert. And, you know, it was always a hustle. And, you know, look, you get signed and then you worry about getting shelved by your label if you don't do the right song or if they don't promote you the right way. So, uh, you know, you're always out there trying to do anything and everything uh, within your power to have success. And, and it's, an, it's always a grind. And then, of course, while we're out there, other groups that are in a similar vein, like the Instincts and Backstreets of the world, come out and take the world by storm. So, you know, the market and climate is extremely competitive and more competitive than it traditionally is, which, as you know, is pretty pretty crazy. So, uh, you know, there's not a time when you can take a breath, even when your song comes on the radio, even when you're doing all these shows and touring the world and selling records, you're still going, all right, what do I got to do next to stay out and stay relevant and, and, and keep the edge? And so, you know, it was a grind. I certainly don't have any regrets. I, I feel blessed to have had that experience. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, if I would have looked back on it, I would have taken a breath and gone, look, let's enjoy this. Let's understand that it's meant to be and embrace each moment and really uh, express our gratitude for it instead of just focusing on the grind. So, uh, you know, there, to answer your question, that question, I know it was long winded, but I, I don't think there was. And I and nowadays, I don't think there is either. I think, you know, whether it be with the group or other uh, projects or businesses or endeavors we're involved with, the training you get from, from being in the entertainment business and feast or famine of it uh, sort of conditions you to always be be working so you have to be mindful of life and family and other things that exist outside of work and take that in and try to relax now the band is still working is still thriving you had a, a lot of dates on the books before covid hit will you just take me back a few years before you all reunited um what was that like for you when you were going on your solo adventure well it was tough 
I mean, for one, you know, look, at the tail end of that pop explosion in the early 2000s, uh, when the boy bands, you know, there was a conscious sort of uh, effort in the entertainment business within the media to sort of skew away from that pop uh, genre a little bit. They wanted to embrace rock once again and get more into hip hop and R&B. And, you know, they were the, the media, especially radio, was pretty tired of the pop movement, although it's been very lucrative and a successful time period for them. Uh, you know, they just got burnt out by all the, you know, more boy bands on the, uh, you know, coming in, 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 into fruition and female pop artists and, and all that stuff. They got sick of it. And so, uh, you know, they sort of made a conscious effort to skew away from that. So me as a solo artist, it was really hard for me to get attention. I mean, uh, you know, I created a record, really didn't know what I was doing in the studio. I had watched and tried to learn from these great producers we worked with. But doing it on my own, I didn't know uh, all the things I probably should have. But uh, you know, just getting labels to even listen to the music was a real chore. I couldn't find any labels to listen to the music, um, so let alone critique it. So it was really interesting and tough. You, but but you you just sold like ten million albums. Why wouldn't they take a meeting? I don't. You know, because it, it's just I don't know. I think that everybody was trying to find what the new thing was, and so you know, by that time, uh, instead of everybody being a member of the group, I think I sort of was labeled as a, maybe a second lead singer behind Nick because Nick had taken most of the leads. And so, you know, I think that the preconceived idea was, uh, you know what, this guy isn't a lead guy. He's not a solo guy. Let's not even give him an opportunity. And I'm not crying sour grapes. I'm certainly appreciative uh, of their opinions and all that stuff. But it was, but was that hurtful? I mean, a little bit because you were the founding member of the group. Well, of course it hurt because, you know, no matter how grounded and humble you try to stay in this business, and it is essential if you want to have perpetual success in the business is to stay grounded, you still have a bit of ego, right? You still want to get out there and go, well, you know what, I can do this, or, or I can sell my own stuff, or here's my material. I mean, your, your uh, craving and passion for the arts creeps in there and sometimes dominates, you know, reality. But the reality was people didn't want to hear anything from me. And uh, it was tough, but I was like, okay, let me see, as I always do with things, rather than look at the glass half empty, look at it half full. Now it gives me an opportunity to learn some of the things about the business side that I didn't know as an artist when we were going through this, you know, hurricane of, of success and travel and, and performances and all that stuff. So I, I took that time to learn the ins and outs of how radio works, how the studio really, really works, uh, cultivate relationships with people behind the scenes, the sales folks and distribution folks. And it was a really good lesson for me. So, you know, looking back on it, was I upset that I couldn't get a chance to get out there and have my stuff in the mainstream at, at a particular time when they were already telling me I was too old? Sure, I was really angry with it, uh, about it. But at the same time, looking back now, the lessons I learned in that, you know, six to seven year stretch of being behind the scenes are invaluable. And so, uh, and, and I had an opportunity to, had I not been in the business, I wouldn't have had a chance to get on the phone with some of these people or in meetings and learn, learn some of the things that are essential in the business that you don't think about outside of being a performer. So I saw it, I see it now as a blessing and, uh, you know, it, it enabled me to create other businesses and, and great relationships. And I can still call on those folks today for favors or to create create ideas and, and see those things into fruition. What were some of the, the greatest takeaways that you learned from these experts in the field in business? Well, one of the things is, you know, the art and, and you as an artist is only a fragment or a fraction of what makes it a success. It's everything uh, behind the scenes and 
the intangibles you have as an artist, right? The charisma and the talent you have as an artist. It's a fraction. It really takes uh, a team. And, and that team is a sales team. That team is a marketing team. Uh, you know, the radio components of it. Uh, you know, look, technology, how it, it's ever evolving. And, you know, you have to stay on your toes. So what it does is really kind of make you in tune with the things that aren't, that might not be as exciting as getting up on stage and having people scream at, at, at you and, or, uh, you know, uh, getting, getting on a TV program and talking about your latest project. You know, you have to understand, you know, there are people that are working really, really hard that are the un, unsung heroes but behind these artists that really are a big part of, of the machine and how things work. So I learned quite a bit about it. I'm still learning today. I mean, look, as things are changing, you learn more and uh, you create more relationships. And I think that it's been a real blessing that I've had to, the ability to meet so much, uh, so many diverse people all around the world doing different things and, and specialized talent and how to, you know, part, put all those things together to have success in different aspects. You've been a television producer and a live event producer as well. Has that been rewarding? Yeah, I mean, look, and a lot of the time it's just like, okay, uh, you know, this is the idea. Someone someone comes to you with a great idea and you go, okay, I don't really know the space, but let me surround myself with people that do. And, you know, you learn how to do that. And then, you know, sometimes people that do know how to do it might have a different idea about how to do things. And you may take some of your past experiences and go, well, you know what, we could cut this out or maybe add this. And you sort of take something and make it your own uh, and create your own business model. It's been really rewarding for me. The live aspect of it, look, I created a mill review after hosting the Chippendales. I was like, there could be a you know, fresher, cooler version of this. Uh, and took that on the road and you know, started off doing door deals and you know, having 12 people in the audience to you know, doing you know, two, 3,000 people uh, you know, at a venue for a mill review. So it ended up becoming a big success. And part of that was, you know, using marketing and the internet, and the viral components that didn't exist when 98 degrees was out. So that was rewarding. It was definitely another lesson uh, and a lot of fun. And, you know, the television stuff too. We took men of the strip and, and did a television show with it. We did a show for discovering si discovery science, which is completely different called droned. And then, you know, syndicated that, in, you know, a hundred plus countries. So, uh, you know, as things come along, I try to learn as much as I can. You know, often the first couple things you do aren't as successful as you'd like them to be, but then you t take a minute and reflect and you go, all right, I can do this differently, or I can add this person to the puzzle and, and to the, give this part away to make it better. You just, it's, a, it's an ever-evolving lesson, and I, I really, really enjoy it. How do you stay so positive? Well, look, I mean, it's really easy for me. I, I feel like I'm supremely blessed. I've gotten to live a dream. I wanted to be a singer, and really, I grew up in a small town and was a wannabe football player, and that didn't work out. And, you know, I got to be in one of the biggest groups of an era, you know? And it's allowed me to, to live the dream of being a creator for over 25 years, a quarter of a century now. And I haven't, you know, quote unquote, had to have a real job. It's certainly a lot of hard work, but it's, you know, I work for myself. I get to create, and you know, there's never a day. Certainly, you have your ups and downs to get depressed, and you know, this COVID thing's really, really been rough on everybody. But you can always look at somebody else and go, "Well, they have it worse off <laughs> than me." And, and part of just, you know, my upbringing by my parents and many books that I've read, read about successful folks is is, you know, one of the things that makes you a success is expressing your gratitude. And I know it sounds corny and like a stock answer, but I believe it 100%. And, you know, the times I get down, you got to physiologically pull yourself out of that by either working out or eating right or reading the right thing. And you just, you know, that when you get out of that funk and you have the positive mental attitude towards things and respect for the universe 
uh, the way things come around, uh, you know, it, you get rewarded for it. So I try my best to keep negativity out. And and look, I, and that's even when people are gossiping or, you know, they're venting about something. I try to stay engaged for a little bit to show my respect for that person that I'm ears and I care about them. Um, but ultimately, I don't I don't really buy into a lot of the negative talk or, or negative uh, vibes about stuff. I'll try to listen, pay respect, give some advice, uh, and then, you know, go, go in another direction. Do you have any advice for our next generation of influencers? You've yeah, had an I incredible think, career. Well, well, I think that, you know, look, that I'm learning from my eight-year-old daughter who is really engaged. And I, I have kids as old as 21, uh, you know, and stepkids and, and down to eight years old. We have five of them over here. So I'm always learning from them. And it's really easy for the younger ones to be completely immersed and engaged in the virtual world. And certainly people are having tremendous amounts of success by never leaving their, their homes or their computers or, uh, you know, video game systems or whatever. But there is something to be said about the outside world. Get out there and do some grassroots promotion, do some real-time events, um, get out of your house. I think there's something to be said for, uh, you know, obviously you can't do it now because, you know, uh, of the quarantines and restrictions, but getting out there in the real world with people and meeting them and pressing the flesh and getting to know your fan base in person is really invaluable. You know, it's such a fickle business as is, but now with so many choices with social media and streaming services at your disposal, if you're not hot 24 hours a day, people are on to the next thing. And one thing you can do to ensure your fans are still there, uh, whether you're hot or not anymore, is to let them get to know the real you. And so I think that that's really essential uh, for the, for especially the younger generation. How much do you think you should share online? I'm just curious. Because sometimes the younger generation may be sharing too much. Because we didn't have that growing up. And you didn't have that at the peak of your career. And we didn't. And I think part of uh, what made us a popular group was there is a certain mystique about it and now it's the complete opposite it's put everything online right i mean so uh and give people that you know peer peek into your private life and you know sort of that voyeuristic thing that we all have uh you you're appealing to that but there is something to be said about some things being sacred some things being private you know certainly if you're proud of your family posted but if you're upset with your family and you're having an argument that's a personal thing or your bandmates some of that stuff's better left behind closed doors, you know, and, and, and leaving some, some of that personal stuff to the imagination. And look, everybody has their own method of doing business. But to me, it's like, you know, put great product out there. Let the fans know what you are about. Uh, but just don't let them know everything about you. I mean, because, you know, then you have no private privacy, no sanctity, and, and, and nothing sacred within your, your family life or your personal life. And, and those two can become blurred with all the things that, with social media that are out there. But, you know, making that distinction is pretty important. Great advice, Jeff. Thank you so much. So after COVID, may it end soon, um, what are the plans for you and the group? You know, we had 40-some dates on the books this past year in 2020. Fortunately for us, our fans are always there. So uh, we're just going to postpone those dates until it's safe for everybody, whether it's, you know, people, whether the virus has died down or vaccines are available or whatever that may be. Uh, we're going to make sure that we can perform and everybody that comes to see us is going to be safe. So that's first and foremost. And those dates will be there. We're not going anywhere. But what's been great about the quarantine is it's given the group an excuse to go back and revisit doing new music. So I can see us doing some new music on the horizon, you know, like yourself. Like everybody else, uh, you know, I've got a podcast I'm coming out with that I'm going to be broadcasting weekly here from Vegas um, and very excited about that. And, you know, a couple of other things in the works. I'm doing a holiday show with a big production company that's going to be announced pretty soon. 
uh, and just trying to keep busy. You know, keep your keep your head head in the game and keep grinding and uh, again uh, having fun at the same time. Congratulations! That sounds exciting. Thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate it. Now, if our fans and our influencers want to follow your journey, what's the best way for them to follow you? Uh, of course, I'm on all the, the social media platforms. Uh, Instagram and Twitter are just at Jeff Timmons, and I think my Facebook is either official Jeff Timmons or Jeff Timmons official. I'm, I'm always on all of them, keeping up with it. And, uh, you know, look, I appreciate my fans that are out there. Uh, we've been very, very fortunate to have really, really loyal fans for a long time, individually and collectively, and uh, feel totally fortunate and blessed to still be out there doing our thing so many years later so uh excited to to keep you know creating and and keep performing and all that stuff and hopefully we'll get to see everybody sooner than later i have one little fan question for me what what's your favorite song to sing on stage uh you know it's pretty tough because it changes all the time and and it's funny because i I hear a lot of people yeah you get sick of singing the same songs for me it never gets old because look, those things, those songs have really dictated uh, our lives. Uh, I think Invisible Man is my favorite one. It was the first uh, single we ever had out on the radio. And for me, it's one of just my favorite songs uh, that we've you know performed. It was just well-written. We didn't write it. Great writers um, and just well, well-produced and just great memories for me. So I, I'd have to say that's my favorite. I love hearing that. Do you have a favorite that you co-wrote? That I, that I co-wrote? Um, you told me and you're holding on or are two of them <laughs> <laughs> that resonate with me. No, I mean, uh, you know, there's one that, that we co-wrote for the Revelation album called Yesterday's Letter. It's more of an obscure obscure one for 98 Degrees, but uh, again, we, you know, Drew and I from the group, we got to write it with Anders Bag, who's just a tremendous producer from Sweden and, you know, just, just has a great vibe and a lot of emotion in it. So that's probably my favorite one that I've been a part of the writing process. Oh. I love it. Jeff, thank you so much for being on my show. Uh, it's just great always talking to you and just to see how we've both grown over the last 11 years. It's been great to catch up with you. Well, likewise, Josh. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for having me on and thinking of me. And I'm so happy to see you having such great success. And uh, please keep in touch. Absolutely. And friends, don't forget to follow Jeff on all social media platforms. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Jeff Timmons. You can keep up with our latest episode of our podcast by visiting us at AIAawards.com and by subscribing to our show on your favorite podcast platform. The American Influencer Real Talk is produced by Christopher Krellen, Bethany Krellen, Josh Skinner, and it's edited and produced by Michael Sykes. Original music composed by at Joshua Hendricks Music. And now here's our CMO, Bethany Krellen. Hey, it's Bethany Krellen. Thank you for listening to the American Influencer Real Talk. We hope you enjoyed. We are so passionate about all of you, our fans. We want you to be part of the AIA family. You can check out our beauty bundle, which supports our influencer community at AIAawards.com. Want to be a guest on the Real Talk? Send us a message on social. We can't wait to stay connected with you all and don't miss the next episode next week.